0: And we are back with another edition of the CIC cast. I'm Joel Cookson. Thanks very much for being with us once again. Episode 29 of the CIC cast. We're going to be looking back at a busy week of championship action. Just a tremendous week of competition with the championships in basketball at the Mohegan Sun and hockey at Ingalls Rink and as well as boys swimming, which we do not have a guest to chat with this week about that, but I, rest, I want you to uh, be assured we will not be ignoring boys swimming uh, in the coming weeks on the CIC cast. hope to have some guests on the next edition of the CIC cast to talk about the spectacular boys swimming championships that also took place last week. But we got a great group of guests to join us this week. We're going to be talking to Lori Riley of the Hartford Current about the girls basketball tournament. Don Boyle from the NFHS Network is going to chat hockey with us. And then Joe Morelli of the New Haven Register with a little boys basketball conversation. So lots of great things to talk about this week. As always, we're very happy to have you with us for the CIAC cast. And as always, we also hope that you're uh, listening to us in a lot of different places, including possibly on your car, on your phone, your mobile device but our friends from the Connecticut Department of Transportation remind you that as you uh, you turn on that phone and the CIAC cast, keep your, uh, why don't you uh, turn it on and then just put it away as um, obviously you don't wanna be distracted while you're driving. And they remind us that sending or receiving a text or something else takes a driver's eyes from the road for an average of 4.6 seconds. And that's an average. So could be looking at a little bit above that. So driving at 55 miles per hour, that's the equivalent of traveling the length of an entire football field blind. So please do not text and drive or drive distracted uploading the CIC cast and encourage your friends and family to park the phone when they are behind the wheel. So we strongly encourage you to, as I said, we'd love to have you listen to the CIC cast when you're in your car, and your commute, on your way home from school, whatever it may be, but... Press play and then put that phone away is what we uh, we strongly recommend and suggest for you uh, for you fans here. So before we get to our guests now, we as always like to go through our edition of things you might have missed on CICSports.com. Obviously, the tournament central section of the website is actually turned over to the spring championship, so you can see the tournament packets along with the championship uh, dates and where all of those will be competed this year. But if you go back to the winter championships, we do have all of the results, all of the stories, all of the brackets, all of the stats from the championship weekend. Lots of good stuff there at Tournament Central, as always, going back to the winter championship season. On CICSports.com, we do have a story about those boys swimming championships I mentioned, a ton of records set at that competition, including one that, and I'm not speaking a... Uh, hyperbolically here is among the greatest swimming performances in the history of high school boys swimming in the United States. So encourage you to check out that story as well. We also have a special linked up winter championships edition that we've been updating throughout the winter season. It now has all of the stories from the local papers for all of the winter CIC championships. That's going back to the class championships and wrestling and indoor track and field, along with the opens, the boys and girls, basketball, hockey, the whole thing it's all there in one place gymnastics is for you to check out and relive all of the great championship actions so hope you will check that out as well to help uh, remember everything that went on during those winter championship seasons So that's what we've got on things you might have missed on CIACsports.com. Hope you won't miss this conversation we're about to have with one of the best high school sports writers in the state. She covers a lot of things for the Hartford Current. We're going to talk to her about the girls basketball tournament and championships that just concluded this past week. Lori Riley covers uh, girls' basketball, among many other things, for the Hartford Current, and she was courtside for all four of the girls' basketball championships this past weekend in Mohe- at Mohegan Sun, and she uh, joins us now to chat about what went on uh, in Uncasville. So, Lori, thanks as always for joining us. Sure, no problem. Uh so the I know uh, particularly in, in your part of the state, the um the, the, the matchup that a lot of people were interested in was the the Class L championship between Capital Prep and uh and Weaver. Some uh some familiarity, so to speak, between those two teams and uh, a lot of interest going in. What sort of um stood out to you from that class L championship game as Capital Prep was able to uh to earn a second straight championship?
1: Um I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people said, you know, capital prep doesn't play anybody during the year and they won't be ready for this and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And I mean, they, you know, they, I think they really proved that they were ready, you know, to move up to Class L and they did play the out-of-state teams. You know, and I, again, I know people said, well, maybe those out-of-state teams weren't as good as, you know, everybody said they were, but still they managed to get quality wins. You know, out of state, they went undefeated all year, and and you know they beat Weaver, which is a very good team. Yeah. Um. I mean, Weaver only lost you know two games by a point, so during the season they won the CCC, they won the CCC tournament. So you know, to beat Weaver is a pretty significant feat, I think. Um, and not you know that I was really surprised because I you know I just thought Capital Prep might have a little more you know, firepower than them, but at Mm -hmm. the same time, I mean, Weaver's pretty good on all you know, pretty much all of its positions. So that's why I thought that was going to be a really good game. And it actually, it was a really good game. It was, it was impressive.
0: Yeah. It felt like the the final score was a little bit deceiving of how close a a game that was most of the way. Yeah, I agree. um, You know, it did seem Weaver had the edge early. What did you see as sort of in terms of what turned the tide a little bit for prep or or what did their coach have to say in terms of what, what changed as they actually did trail, uh, you know, by by a decent uh, margin early in that game?
1: Yeah, um she said they weren't playing together. Um they I mean essentially that was the bottom line for her. And once they started playing more as a team and less as individuals, um I think they were feeling the pressure too a little bit. Yeah. You know, of being number 1 all year, being um you know, people expected them to win. Um, because they were undefeated, and I think once they got their heads on straight, you know, in the locker room, they came out and they just played, you know, like they normally play.
0: Yeah, and a pretty dominant second-half effort uh, for, for them in, in earning that championship and, and going undefeated. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, you know, another team that was back uh, at Mohegan Sun was Laurelton Hall. Uh, after falling in the, the double-L championship game last year, they, this time, able to get past South Windsor. What was sort of struck you from that game, the double-L championship game?
1: Um, again, I thought that was, I mean, there were two teams that came back after losing last year, and mm-hmm. I thought, you know, this is like, they were kind of thinking this is our year, you know, yeah. to do it. One was, um, well, one was Thomaston, um, and I think, um, I mean, I, I don't know that South Windsor really had an answer for McCarthy. Yeah. Um, she was, Evan McCarthy, she was really good. Um, you know, Holly Fabry, like they, <clears throat> you know, they did a good job on her, but, um, Defensively, but I think that, you know, they just couldn't stop all of Warholton's players. So um, I know there was a huge free-throw disparity in that game, and that was, you know, people were talking about that afterwards, obviously. I think South Windsor shot, they had they were like 8 for 13 in free throws, and, you know, Warholton Hall was 29 for 41. Right. So how do you... You know, how do you, is is that because the officials, you know, were calling, you know, everything on South Windsor or because, you know, they were calling it and it was something actually existed for them to call? You know, I don't really know. Right. Um, So that was obviously a big part of it. Um, But, uh, you know, World Hall is good. I mean, they only lost to, what did they lose, to Mercy, and I think that's it. And then they beat Mercy. So um, they're a very good team. So I think... uh, you no, know, I think South Windsor will be back. I don't think this is the last we're going to see them. So, I, I think they're going to get another shot at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it definitely was a it was an interesting game as well. And then you mentioned the other team that was back after uh, coming up short in the championship game last season, and that is Thomaston. And they uh, matched up with Saint Paul Catholic and provided another uh, very, very highly competitive game that uh, actually went <coughs> into two overtimes before uh, before we came out with the winner there in Thomaston. What what did you sort of see in that game that that stood out to you?
1: Um, again, that was uh, I hadn't seen Thomason before because we don't cover them, so um, I just knew what I had seen from them the year before and knew that they all wanted to come back and win pretty much. And same with St. Paul. I hadn't seen them at all until I saw that game. So um, St. Paul is relatively young, although I know um, Teresa Swanky is a senior and he had a couple seniors, but uh, before the game it was funny that St. Paul coach Joe Monet was telling me how this group was so young and he just had no idea... You know what they were going to do. Like they were all, were they going to be just happy to be there, or right. were they, you know, actually going to go out and play like they didn't really know what was going on, and but play really well, yeah, and, and not feel any pressure. And and that's really h- kind of how they played. You know, which is kind. That's why I think it was such a good game. Um, I mean, and Thomason had all those seniors, and although they did have the um <clears throat> Casey Carandolo there, who was a freshman, so they're just a very talented team. So I. um... I, you know, I I guess I wasn't too surprised that that went to overtime. Maybe double overtime, I'm surprised. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh it certainly uh I think a, a lasting image for me from the weekend will be the um you know, uh from Thomaston the player stepping up and hitting all three free throws to send the game <laughs> yep. in double overtime. That's a pretty That was uh, crazy. A pretty uh icy performance there from a from a player. That was player pretty crazy.
1: That, yeah, it was like .2 seconds off. left. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Saint Paul Paul thought they had it, you know, twice they thought they had it. Yeah. Nope,
0: <laughs> not quite. No, we're gonna keep if going. If they if they
1: watched the mercy game last year, they would have known that that it's you know not over. And even when the buzzer sounds, it might not be over. So that,
0: that's true. We got to uh, <laughs> got to double check the buzzer and make sure that right. we're official. And nobody of called an, the they,
1: timeout. Yeah.
0: In 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 a similar vein, in some way, and it ended up you know not quite coming to fruition. But the uh, the M final, the 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 other the last game uh, on the girls' side to be competed, uh, New London able to survive a. Crazy comeback from Morgan uh, late in the fourth quarter. Um, what it was sort of that that was sort of almost a, a two separate games there. You had kind of the whole game, and then you had the fourth quarter from, from Morgan. Right. What was uh, what was sort of the story of that one to you?
1: Um, I think that one was interesting because the matchups really weren't you know good for Morgan. I mean, the uh, New London had those post players that were just so good, um, mm-hmm. Osborne and Pagan. And they really, you know, they were trying to go inside, and they couldn't really do anything inside. But they kept trying to do it. Yeah. They weren't getting called for the fouls. You know, nothing was happening there. And I don't know if New London kind of, you know, said, "Okay, we got this." You know, we're up by 17 in the fourth quarter, or <laughs> if Morgan just said, um, "Hello, we're going to lose, this, you know, the state championship by 17 here." And Morgan has had issues with they've had issues with finishing this year, which is more. You know they they've like been winning like especially against Cromwell they they, you know which is their arch rival in the Shoreline they were like Mm -hmm. winning against them for most of the game and then somehow Cromwell would pull it out at the end and win an overtime I think they won the so they've had these issues all year where they've kind of turned it on and off and maybe not played you know the entire game at you know the intensity that um, the coach would like them to play at but. Um This game was a little bit different because they were trailing and yeah. it wasn 't like they were winning you know they were they were actually trailing, and then they came back <clears throat> it made it pretty exciting, but that hole was just too deep, i think for them to and they 're young too morgan 's a very young team, so i i don 't think that you know I think they 'll be back next year too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was certainly. Uh, it, it seemed to come a little bit out of out of nowhere almost in the fourth quarter. That suddenly it was a, a five point game or a two point game or. Yeah, game well
1: they just started that's... trapping and pressing, and all of a sudden, you know, they started stealing the ball, getting easy layups, and you know they cut that lead really quickly down. They went on a nice little run there, and um, all of a sudden they thought they got it down to one, and yes. then they just couldn't pull it out at new London, kind of woke up after that and said, okay, <laughs> yeah."
0: And, and like, <laughs> let's that, close this
1: out. And they're young too. So they could be, they could be back next year. You know, you could see that rematch next year in the final. I mean, Absolutely. that's, that's not an, not an impossibility for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah. Um, you've mentioned, uh, you know, a couple uh players that, that stood out to you and, and had strong games over the weekend. Were there any others that, uh, you know, really impressed you with what they were able to do in the, in the championship game?
1: Uh, um, all the games kind of tend to run together. <laughs>
0: yes, that's
1: true. <laughs> After a while, I mean, McCarthy was so good <clears throat> in that World and Hall game. I mean, she had 26 points, 17 mm-hmm. rebounds. You know, she was really, really impressive. In the Morgan game, I liked Osborne, <clears throat> the center there. She was very good. She was only a sophomore. She had 16 points, 11 rebounds. The freshman, uh, India Pagan, had 13 rebounds and 7 blocks, Yeah. which is, you know, kind of crazy. Um, so they're very good. You know, they're and they're young, so they'll yeah. be like I said, they'll be back. Um, the St. Paul Thomason game, uh the freshman for Thomason with the twenty one points. I mean, she was very impressive. Casey Carangelo. Mm-hmm. Twenty one points, nine rebounds. You know, that was that was good. Uh what was the other game here? Capital Prep Weaver. Well we know all those people, so <laughs> um you know, Kaya is very good obviously. Desiree Elmore for Capital Prep was very impressive. Gillespie is the Gatorade Player of the Year. Um, the one player that surprised the Weaver coach was the senior on Capital Prep, Taylor Williams. He, She had 11 rebounds, and he said afterwards, he said, we knew that the other kids, you know, Gillespie and Elmore, were going to, you know, rebound that well and play that well, but he said that uh, Williams surprised him a little bit, that she right. played very well that day. Um, obviously, Weaver's kids, you know, Dejanay James, DeJanae Edwards, who's amazing. Um <clears throat> And, uh, the Stuart sisters, you know, are very good, so.
0: Yeah, despite uh-huh. uh, despite not being deep, the, those teams are very balanced, which is sort of an interesting. Uh, yeah,
1: both of them were. Yep, yep, in, in, that's an true. Interesting
0: sort of uh, contrast. You wouldn't necessarily think that for teams that don't uh, have deep deep benches, but
1: they've been able to do that all year. I I mean I think Amanda fell fou- Amanda Stewart fell out, and I don't think I've seen I've probably seen Weaver four or five times this year, maybe more, and I've never seen anybody fall out for Weaver. So <laughs> they know how to play, you know, with a couple fouls just because they had to. Right. You know they they were they were pretty they were really good at it so cause they did it all year yeah um, yeah um, that was impressive they made a really good run and I mean those kids played hard and for both teams you know both of them because Capital doesn't have a lot of depth either so right
0: yeah um, so sort of uh, just you know we we now make it through the the championship weekend again and and a lot as we said a lot of really interesting games uh, do you have any sort of big. Uh, or not big, or big, or small. Just general kind of takeaways from the the girls' high school basketball season. Any sort of stories that you think are sort of the the key story for the for the season this year?
1: The the only thing I really can think of right now is I did <clears throat> write my column on it on Sunday was about um, and, and you know the headline on it read should the should the high school basketball season be shorter or something like that, which mm-hmm. I didn't really. That wasn't quite the point <laughs> of the story. I mean it, it should be short. you know I guess in essence that's what I was saying, but my my um, question always has been why if the season starts at, ends at the same time, why don't the se- why doesn't the boys' basketball season and the girls' basketball season start at the same time right. um, And I know in the past there was an issue where the, you know the girls started a week earlier, they ended a week earlier, and they played at Central one weekend, and then, you know, the boys play the next weekend. So they each had their own weekend, but when they moved into Mohican Sun, which I think is a great thing, to have them both there, they kept the girls a week earlier. And some coaches say, well, we like that extra week, we like the week to have the gym by ourselves, you know, it's tradition. Other coaches say, the season's too long, you know, it's you're you're killing Thanksgiving, you're killing the Christmas holiday, you're killing the February, you know, it's, it's a right. lot to ask of, you know, these kids to go... Because I think somebody told me, one, if a girls' team went all the way from, you know, November, whatever, to, you know, to the Mohican Sun, mm-hmm. and a, a boys' team started at the time when they start, which I, is, I believe, a week later, and if they were done in February, like, at, at the end of the regular season, it was like a five-week difference. Okay. So, a girls' team would play five extra weeks. Right. and. Also, you know, there was an issue in the tournament where, you know, the the season would end and because of like in the CCC, the CCC conference tournament would start, the season would end and they would have, you know, say a team didn't make it to the CCC tournament. Well, then they would have like two weeks before they started to play in the state tournament, which is like, I guess it's okay if you have injured players or whatever, right. but, you know, you, it, it kind of breaks up the season a little too much while the girls are waiting for the boys to catch up. Sure. And to me, that's what it seems like. And why isn't it just the same? You know, I don't understand why, you know, it can't be the same way for both, you know, for boys and girls basketball. If it ends at the same time, it should start at the same time. Right. To my thinking. But, you know, some people disagree with that. But most of the people I talked to agreed with it. So, um, anyway, that was the one thing I... I've always wanted to write that. I've always wondered
2: about that. <laughs> well, there you
0: go. So, uh, no, so yes, yeah, and it is, and, it, and it's uh, you know obviously there's a lot of moving parts, but yeah, that's certainly a yes, a, a I, question that, I yep. that. I know gets gets talked about. So, we'll, yep. uh we'll yep. see how uh, what what happens is. I do think the uh, the the consensus seems to be that having all of the events at Mohegan has been a has been a good thing for for both. Yeah, people like and that. Yep.
1: So. and I actually like the Saturday Sunday this year too. The Friday Saturday was difficult, and I'm just talking from my point of view. Mm-hmm. If you had a late Friday game, and then you had to be there at, you know, 9 o'clock on Saturday morning for sure. that 10 o'clock game, or, or I think we even had 9.30 games Yeah. at one point, it was just, you know, I mean, you were exhausted by the end of Saturday night. Yes. <laughs> you know, it was I just can, like, it was see too much. I
0: personal experience from that as well. Yes, that was a long Yeah, path. it got
1: spread out better. And I, I I don't love playing games on Sunday, but at the same time, you know, I recognize that, to me, it was a little more spread out and, you know, I think people had a good experience and you know obviously that boys game Friday and Saturday night was fabulous that last game so you know that was and I don't know how many I don't know what the attendance was for that game but I would imagine it was pretty it was pretty loud in there
0: Yeah no we, so, we did we did very well with the attendance and we're happy with mm-hmm. it so hopefully uh, <clears throat> yeah hopefully the fans it was good all weekend. well and uh yeah I yeah. I thought it was a great weekend and uh, yep. and fans can always uh can always read all of your work uh, on in the Hartford current and the current online. So we encourage them to do that. All all of the uh, Mm -hmm. the great work that Lori Riley has done. So we thank you. uh, Thanks as always for joining us, Lori, and we'll we'll look forward to seeing what you're going to be writing during the spring season. Okay, great. Thank you. Always love hearing from Lori Riley, has a great history covering the sport and a lot of perspective on what went down at Mohegan Sun this past weekend. So we thank her for joining us quickly now. We changed direction and we changed locations as we head to Ingalls Rink where the Boys Ice Hockey Championships took place this past weekend and Don Boyle from the NFHS Network was there to keep track of all of it for us. So we're going to reach out to him, see what he can tell us about an exciting weekend of Boys Ice Hockey Championships. We are on the phone now with Don Boyle from the NFHS Network, and uh, Don is uh, among many other things. One of his passions is keeping track of the hockey action, and those of the the, the folks who uh, listened into a lot of our state championship coverage certainly heard Don on the uh, on the mic. And we want to talk to him to uh, to recap all the exciting action that took place at Ingalls Rink over the past weekend. So, Don, thanks for being with us.
2: Nice to be with you, Joel. And you're right; it was exciting action. I was very pleased with the crowds that we had. They were all well behaved. And I'll tell you what, the uh, the six teams that had a chance to compete in divisions uh, one, two, and three uh, were absolutely outstanding.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm a little remiss to take credit for this, but I think I might do it anyway. I just want to point out that since I joined the CIAC, the six hockey championships the last two years have all been decided by one goal. So I don't know, you know, whether there's just something about my presence that brings out these competitive hockey games, but uh, it really has just been a remarkable string of, uh, of championship games we've seen over the last couple of years.
2: Joel, let's be honest about it. It's the way you play goal. It's amazing. You <laughs> shot after shot after shot.
0: That is true. I, I am quite nimble, as, uh, <laughs> as anyone uh, who has seen me on skates could tell you. Um so let's get started. Uh, just start with the, the Friday night game, the Division Two final, and uh, Daniel Hand, kind of a surprising run, at least in terms of seeds, uh, to the final, and then they capped it off with a win over Amity. What uh, stood out to you from that championship?
2: What stood out first and foremost was to see Gary Lingwin there to uh, support his uh, Amity Spartan team. A lot of folks know uh, he's battling cancer. Uh, you know what? It was good to see him get up the energy and, and be at the rink, to be behind the bench, to help out his, uh, his coaching staff, and, uh, and, and really it was just heartwarming to see that. I think first and foremost that was a win-win for everybody that loved the sport of ice hockey here in the state of Connecticut. That being said, Daniel Han came out, and you know what? They played a great first period, and then they were able to withstand the storm of the Amity Spartans throughout and honor that 5-4 win. And they had that uh, special ingredient in Benjamin Sullivan, who scored the hat trick, absolutely outstanding player. Um, I understand he's leaving high school hockey to go play prep school next year. Another one of those youngsters that's got a terrific upside, and, uh, and we had a chance to watch him play really at his finest moment and, and lead Daniel Hand to the victory 5-4.
0: Yeah, it certainly was a, a, a tremendous uh, – not sure what more uh, you could want on the resume than having a, a hat trick in the championship game to help your team uh, earn a state title. Uh, moving on to Division Three, that provided another uh, just thrilling game with Newtown getting past E.O. Smith-Tolland in uh, in overtime for to claim their first uh, ever state championship in hockey. What did you take away from that game?
2: What I took away from that game was that Paul Esposito did a magnificent job preparing his team, getting that team ready, and they're getting them really to the opportunity where they could go on and, and just come to this overtime opportunity. And Scott McClain scoring his first goal as a varsity player, and it comes in overtime uh, on a really terrific play. Brian Gregory and uh, Jonathan LeBourne picking up the helpers. McLean standing right off that post, able to uh, score the game winner. It was absolutely a beautiful shot past uh, uh, the goaltender for E.O. Smith, Tomlin, who had played a, a, a terrific game in Matt Shane. He, he uh, really stood on his head uh, for E.O. Smith-Tollin time and time again. So he was really the tough luck loser in all this yep. for the goaltender. But a great performance by Newtown. And you know what? The, uh, Coach Esposito, had given, he's a middle school teacher in Newtown, we all know what happened at Sandy Hook. He is very instrumental in trying to rally the troops in that community. And to see, to see that team come up with a win, I think it really felt good for
0: all. Yeah, no no doubt about that. Certainly a, a special moment for that team and for those fans, and uh, just a great story all the way around. And as you said, a, a certainly spirited effort from E.O. Smith-Tolland. And uh, speaking of uh, of hard luck goaltenders, we, we move on to the Division One final, which was just a tremendous game with Darien nearly holding off Fairfield prep after uh, having an early lead before the Jesuits uh, came back and repeated with a, an overtime winner. What do you think it is, Don, about Fairfield Prep that just makes them so good uh, once the tournaments come around?
2: You said it. They're just so good. They have that mystique. They have a great coach in Matt Sather. He's very cool He's calm. He's collected. Uh, you never see his personality waver, whether they're uh, winning or losing. And I think that's the key to Fairfield Prep's success time and time again in big games is his demeanor behind the bench. I think it starts there, and then they have a, a multitude of great players, guys up and down the lineup who can get the job done. But that defensive court did a terrific job uh, time and time again against Darien. matter of fact, Darianne, uh, uh, looking at the stats, only nine shots on goal right. the entire game. So the offense did their job with their forecheck. The defensemen, who are unheralded coming into the season, uh, certainly uh, uh, really gained a lot of respect, I think, around the Connecticut hockey world for their performance. Uh, uh, six or seven of them, whoever uh, went out there for, for uh Matt, say that they certainly did a terrific job.
0: Yeah, and uh, obviously, be remiss uh, would seem like one of the big stories, at least uh, as I was at Mohegan Sun, and the word sort of started filtering out of Ingalls about that game was uh, the play of Darien goalie Michael Cologne, who was just sensational. How how impressive was he, Don, for somebody who was there and uh, and watching him try to keep Darien in that hockey game?
2: Well, he stood in his head. When you think about it, according to the stat sheet that's on the, the CIAC website, Fairfield brought 36 shots on goal including five in the overtime. He stood on his head time and time again. The relentless pressure uh, from wing wall to wing wall in front of the net. uh, He he was just terrific. And it was a shame to see him actually lose. One of those games in which the goaltender really kept the blue wave in the contest. Other than that, they couldn't muster much offense at all. They only had nine shots on goal, and that's including overtime. They were held to scoreless shots on goal period in the second against Fairfield Prep. But just, you know, Fairfield Prep's got that mystique. You go into that there is ghost inside that building <laughs> certainly how fairfield prep and yet another state championship
0: absolutely you know you've mentioned uh a few folks um that were impressive to you over the course of the three days and over the rest of the tournament that you saw but any other players that really stood out for you uh over the past weekend in those three championship games
2: oh man that's a tough question i thought they all uh, they, they they all play great hockey you know if you, if you take a look at uh uh what the Darien brought to the table, I thought uh, Robert Judabox was terrific. He scored their uh, goal way back in the first period of that championship game. He he was uh, up and down the ice all night long. He might have been their best forward. So I really enjoyed his play. I thought the play of uh, Matt Whitman, as always, outstanding, although held off the score sheet in that championship game. Uh, what he did in the corners, he's a master there, uh, certainly uh, should uh, really accept an accolades for his great work, I think. Mm-hmm. In that particular game, you know, you go back to the <clears throat> Newtown Eo Smith game, and the way that game went back and forth, it might have been the best game of the entire tournament. Although, you know, you take a look at that, uh, that game in which uh, Daniel Hand beat Amity. Uh, that you know, Amity came back from a four nothing deficit to make it make it interesting. But the way Eo Smith Tollin played, uh, I think, as a team, uh, and you could you could name it to a guy, they were they were they, they were just outstanding. They were just well coached. Uh, and, uh, I'll tell you what, they, they got more out of that team than you might expect. Uh, Sean Duhamel, uh, was a terrific player. He, uh, had four shots on goal. Certainly guy, uh, to take a look at. Peter Mayer was outstanding. He had a goal in the, uh, championship game. He's really a fun player. Uh, so a couple of guys to take look, take a look at there in for, uh, Newtown. Uh, great team effort. And then Johnny on the spot with Scotty McClain <laughs> with the game winner. Sure. What a- it's going to be your first ever varsity goal huh? in, in overtime in a championship game. So. Yeah,
0: I think he'll be uh, – will, will he be satisfied never scoring again? I think that would be the question you'd have to ask him. If, well, you, if, you if know the only goal you ever goals, score, please. I think that would be uh, not a bad way to go.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I, I think the big story really was, and I had mentioned at the top, was Gary Lindgren being there for, uh, for the Amity Spartans and Paul Mengel going out as athletic director, a chance. I know he loves the sport of ice hockey, also in attendance uh, for the uh, for the Amity team. So that was terrific. And then you see the Cinderella and Daniel Hand uh, pick up that nice win. So uh, they certainly deserved it. Uh, they were a, a great team. And uh, you know what? Uh, you take a look at uh, what Daniel Hand's coaching staff is all about with ken mitchell he's a former fairfield prep guy so Mm -hmm. there you go the mystique is Mm -hmm. led behind the bench with the tigers victory in some way or another i get a feeling
0: there you go it carried over um so just finally we put you know a little bit of a bow on the uh the championship weekend but what about sort of the the season as a whole i know you follow the sport closely uh throughout the year obviously doing all great work uh with the NFHS Network, but uh, sort of just your, your big takeaways maybe from the 2013-14 from the uh, ice hockey season in Connecticut.
2: There seems to be new life in the sport of ice hockey here in Connecticut. I think the co-op situations are working out. You saw that with E.O. Smith-Tolland uh, being in a championship game. It's certainly, you see You see it with Milford. Uh, they had a team that made it to the uh, uh, you know Division Two semifinals, which was terrific. So co-op hockey, it's alive. Uh, I think it's really the future for what our, our hockey programs are all about here in the state of Connecticut to keep them alive. Um, I thought the coaching was outstanding. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, it I played out. The best teams won in the long run. I, I think yep. it all uh, was fair and square out on the ice surface all year long. I thought it was terrific.
0: Well, wonderful, and we certainly enjoyed it. And uh, encourage folks, you can check out the. Uh, the the on demand the NFHS network uh, has all three hockey finals. Why don't you just sit down, watch all three of them in a row? You can binge on some uh, some Connecticut hockey and uh, and enjoy the championships again. So Don, as always, we thank you for your, all your great work in uh, in in getting the NFHS network uh, up and running here in Connecticut and uh, and for your insight on hockey. So thanks very much for being with us.
2: Sure, thanks for having me, and I can't wait for next year. Well, all maybe right. I I'll be a year older by then. <laughs>
0: Our thanks to Don Boyle, who did great work covering the ice hockey as well as everything else. Don plays a huge part in the NFHS Network. I know we've had him on the podcast before. Plays a huge part in organizing and orchestrating all of the great NFHS Network coverage that we had. And as I I failed to mention it before, if you go to the NFHSnetwork.com and check out the Connecticut channel, a ton of on-demand action, including the finals in boys' and girls' basketball, all of the swimming class and championships, diving championships as well along with the ice hockey so we had a championship coverage across the state on the nfhs network and it's all available on demand for you to check out wrap things up now with our final guest for the week joe morelli who covers a wide variety of sports but predominantly boys basketball for the new haven register I want to chat with him about what he saw at mohegan sun this past weekend Joe Morelli uh, writes for the New Haven Register. He covers all sorts of high school sports, but is a, uh, a fixture on the boys' basketball beat, and he was uh, fortunate enough to be courtside for just about all of the action at Mohegan Sun this past weekend, so he, we are very happy to have him with us now. Joe, thanks as always for joining us. Joe, my pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, another excellent weekend for boys basketball champions crowned at Mohegan Sun. And let's uh, just kind of go chronologically here, starting with day one, and maybe the result that uh, might have been the most surprising for people looking back at the weekend as East Catholic comfortably uh, topped Weaver in that championship. What did you think was kind of the difference in that contest?
3: Well, I think that East Catholic just took it to Weaver. And, I mean, Weaver had been probably the hottest team in the state. They had, what, won nine straight games.
1: Mm-hmm. They had won
3: arguably the best conference in the state in the CCC. Um, and they had been on on a roll. And, and they started the game on a roll. And then these kind of took it to them. They we were inside. They ran their stuff. And Weaver, you know, they just faded. It's almost like they got punched in the mouth, the Beavers, and they just didn't know how to respond. And, and they sure as heck missed a lot of free throws. Really. They shot. 20 43. I mean, you missed 23 free throws, and you're not going to win any game, yep. especially in a championship game. But the fact that East Canada was able to dominate in such a fashion. It was a surprise to almost everybody, I would think.
0: Yeah, not the result maybe that folks said, and as you said, Weaver had come in on on quite a roll, but a, a testament to to East Catholic coming away with the uh, the championship there. Moving on to uh, the the nightcap on day one on Saturday night, which just turned into be uh, an absolute thriller of a game. What was your biggest takeaway from that double L final with Bridgeport Central uh, just edging past Fairfield Prep?
3: Well, I think it was just. A tail two halves, not know it's a cliche, but I mean, Fairfield, I, I, I've been watching Bridgeport Central play, I don't know, for 20 years, and I've never seen a team take apart Central so easily and get so many easy baskets. Yeah. And then Central may went to the 2-2-1 full-court press, and I and it's almost like Prep didn't know how to adjust it, know how to break it, they just had such a tough time with it. And they took the ball a lot, twelve, thirteen times in the, in the third quarter, and mm-hmm. an eighteen-point halftime deficit was gone by the end of the third quarter. And then it was, then the two teams were like exchanging. It was like a heavyweight fight, and it should have been for the top team in the state of Connecticut to be decided. And they're exchanging haymakers, and Central got the last shot in, yep. and they were able to win the game. And uh, and kudos to them because those guys played great, and um, you know. It shows you how difficult it is to run the table and win every single game. And unfortunately for prep, I don't think anybody's going to remember the first 27. I think they're going to remember the last half of the last game, and that's kind of what uh, the the, uh, the cruelty of this uh, business.
0: Yeah, it almost seems as though you could say they went 27.5-0, but then uh, that that last half is what really did them in. And really, as you said, just a, a remarkable game. I, I, I really feel like uh, – Sitting there, you, you felt like you couldn't take a breath in the last four or five minutes of that fourth quarter. Just unbelievable. And think of, like,
3: I mean, the game, I mean, game plays, man, on both sides. But the big man for for Fairfield Prep, I mean, Pascal Chuku, and he had twenty one points, seventeen rebounds, twelve blocks. He's going to province for a reason. Yeah. And uh, you know, and, and and again, you know, the, the central guy. You knew the Hilltoppers were going to take it at him, mm-hmm. and they had success taking it at him. You know, if Prep makes a couple more adjustments. Maybe they find a way, but you know, again, it was, it was really great theater. And uh, and hey, KU is essential. They found a way to do it. They won. They're they're going to likely be the number one team in the state when the polls are released uh, this week.
0: So. Yeah, no, certainly, just a remarkable game. And uh, but then uh, we go on to Sunday, and and two more uh, two more excellent championship games with with Sacred Heart winning the Class S and Windsor pulling out the uh, the win in in the L championship. What did you see as kind of the keys for those two wins for those uh, teams respectively?
3: Well, I think it, uh, everybody would mention, would say that Sacred Heart was clearly the better team. People were calling it the this Class S the Sacred Heart Invitational. Um, I mean, they have a kid in Mustafa Heron who was already committed to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. as a sophomore. And, and, and their adjustment, they, they were getting – and Valley Regional was the rating class, class M champion. Yes. And this team was not nearly as good as last year's team. Yet they got on a roll in the tournament, and they took it to Sacred Heart – when Sacred Heart was in the man, when Sacred Heart went to that, packed in that zone and were able to use their height and size to the advantage, Valley Rachel really struggled to score. And, eventually, and the guy, Malik Patway, had 17 points and 17 rebounds, and they just took over the game. They were the better team, but they didn't play like the better team for two and a half quarters, and Valley was able to hang in there, and, and I think Kevin Woods does a tremendous job. But Sacred Heart was clearly the best team in class, and they flexed their muscle, and they found a way to win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then in the uh the the night cap, the the game to uh cap off just a thrilling weekend of competition. Windsor, uh, with kind of a, a strange finish, uh late, but was able <laughs> to make the plays at the end to uh to win the L championship. What did you see in that one? Well,
3: I thought I they were two mirror images of each other, two defensive oriented teams. Two teams that really don't have a standout. Tyler Tyler did have twenty five points, but they're balanced scoring. They both press, they both feed off their defense. And again, I mean it, it is an interesting situation. Um, two straight games, the same kid, Aaron McHenry, in the late in the fourth quarter, gets her against bonnell I, I gather it was his elbow, couldn't shoot free throws. He comes out, this kid Cody Quinn comes in, makes free throws. They go on to win. Well, they hang on to win, I should say, because they were up most of the game against mm-hmm. Bonnell, And then against career, you know, he goes to the line, but he was obviously, he had hit his head hard on the floor. I don't think anybody would deny that. Yeah. And, you know, coaches asking him, they got to check him. They can bring anybody in. Also, I gather the rule in college is that I don't know this. I believe the opposing coach can choose who the free throw shooter is in high school. It's at the discretion of his own coach. So, anyway, Quinn comes in, makes two free throws, makes two more free throws. You know, the, hey, career had chances to win this game. They had numerous opportunities. It, but it is an interesting scenario that Cody Quinn ends up being the hero when he was on the bench for the entire second half. But, you know, that's the way the game goes. And, you know, again, Windsor finds a way to win a state championship, their first since 2009.
0: Yeah, so. and, uh, and and you do have to love, you know, regardless of, of how he got on the floor, the uh, the the kind of coolness under pressure to come in and sink those free throws when you haven't been on yeah, the floor. Yeah, I mean, you,
3: you, you, you sat for an hour. Yeah. Well, basically, you sat for an hour, and I think – after what happened against Bill, he knew his opportunity was going to come again. He could see yeah. what was going to happen, and he relished the opportunity. And it's nice to see something like that because a lot of people in that situation may not be able to make those free throws.
0: Yeah, or I mean, people who
3: are on the floor all the time. You, you feel, I mean, look, the whole weekend is filled with people feeling the pressure of the moment, as I'm sure we're going to discuss. I mean, yeah. that, that's I mean these are high school kids, and it's you know it's easy to pick apart and, and see, well, this kid should have done this. And, It's easy, but unless you're in those shoes, it's it's really you really don't understand it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, uh, we've obviously we've hit on a couple of the uh, you know real standouts from the weekend. But what were some of maybe a few other players that really impressed you the most over the course of those four uh, boys championship games?
3: Well, I thought Christian Pierre played a great game uh, against Sacred Heart. He had 20 points. I mean, he was a big factor. I mean, uh, David Bradbury for Valley hit four threes in Mm -hmm. the first half. I mean, he was. He was very good. Uh, um, I'm going to butcher his name, Orhan in I, I butchered him, sure, for Pittsburgh Central. But, see, he was able to take take it at Pascal. Yeah. And his ability to be able to draw Pascal and then go by him is mm-hmm. a big factor in the game. Obviously, Tyler Ancrum and Marcus Blackwell, they play great. Um, I already mentioned Pascal and, obviously, Malik Petway for Sacred Heart. But, uh yeah, and it basically a lot, you know, it, it, there's a lot of role players too, but those guys are basically the ones who stood out for me.
0: Yeah, it seems like um you know maybe one of the the sort of interesting trends, and in, and I've uh, been now with the CIAC through two uh, go rounds of the right. championships at Mohegan Sun, but uh, it, it seems as though we've really you know, in the past two years, seen a lot of sort of wild swings in terms of teams mounting comebacks. You know, last year, uh, the, that double overtime game, uh, you know, team rallied from um, way down to, to come back and actually beat Weaver in that championship uh, in, in double overtime. And then you had Bridgeport Central, as you mentioned, Sacred Heart was down early. East Catholic was down early uh, in in that in their game as well. Is there anything that you sort of have any ideas or theories as to why these uh, comebacks have these sort of big comebacks and swings and momentum have been so prevalent in the games at uh, Mohegan, or are we trying to find some uh, some reasoning and some randomness there?
3: Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, the team you're thinking about is Granby, right? I, I think once I think it's the again, like I was saying before, the, the pressure of the moment, he just it's very difficult sometimes. It, I mean, I think it got to Weaver last year. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it got to Weaver this year. They never were able to recover from the second quarter. Uh, and prep. I mean, it got to prep because you I mean it was a that was com- two completely different halves. It, I mean, the Fairfield prep you saw in the second half was not the one you saw in the first half for for obvious reasons. And I think it's the you you can't get in the kids' minds, but you know they know what they're playing for. Sure. They know this is the last step. I mean, the pressure of the moment got to Fairfield Prep. Mm-hmm. It got to the Jesuits. It, it was clearly obvious. I mean, they were they were arguing amongst themselves, trying to figure out what to do. You know, and the time's not going by fast enough. You know, it's 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 I think because it's the championship final, because it's for all the marbles, I think sometimes kids react differently than they would in other situations. And I think that might be the only reason why you see these kind of trends in these games. You know, yeah. but unfortunately that that is the nature of the beast. That is I mean the kids who find a way to succeed in these games, they're the heroes. And unfortunately, one team only wins and one team loses, and there's a lot of tears on this day. And, that's, and It's a cruel business when you're exposed like that in front of seven, 8,000 people. But unfortunately, if I had to see a trend, that would be it. It's the pressure of the moment collectively is tough for 16-, 17-year-old kids sometimes. And when you get on a roll, it's obviously if things go your way. You think, yeah. that's, it's, it's tough to stop it. I mean, for older players, it's a little obviously a lot easier. Because they've been playing a lot longer. But mm-hmm. that would be my theory. I don't know how strong it really is. But sometimes, you know, you have to make adjustments as coaches too. Yeah. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's not that simple. It's easy to it's pick pinpoint and, and say you can do this. But again, until you're in the shoes, it's it's not that simple,
0: honestly. Yeah, no, and I've always wondered, and again, you know, that's the fun thing with theories is that it's uh, really impossible in this scenario to to prove what's uh, the cause or not. But you also think, you know, uh, an 18-point lead in a regular season game, you know, a team might say, all right, you know, not that they're going to say, not to say that they'll give up, but, you know, they might not fight you with everything they've got trying to come back. But when a team, you know, knows this is it you know we've got the uh that level of desperation maybe teams aren't used to sort of seeing uh when when an opponent gets down that much i i think maybe is also part of it you know no one is going to quit in the state championship game uh regardless of uh, of how far how far down they are so
3: um, no i think i think, think birchport central was absolutely desperate
0: yeah When they played like
3: it then they succeeded you yeah. know and that, I mean, that's you know like yeah. that, and 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 they won because of the that because of the way they
0: played yes so so uh, we, we've, we wrapped up, uh, you know, another weekend, another great weekend uh, uh, at the Mohegan Sun, just tremendous eight great games in, in boys and girls. But uh, sort of, you know, the season now more or less in the books. We've got some you know, some all-star games uh, coming up and things of that nature, but more or less, at least in terms of on-the-court official CIAC action. So just any sort of final impressions or big takeaways from the uh, 2013-14 boys basketball season for you? What's, what is going to be sort of your, uh, your big takeaway. From this year. Um, hmm.
3: Well, first of all, from, from a CIA perspective, I, I think I know there are some reservations as far as going to Sunday, but I think with 7,500 people, I imagine Saturday Sunday will be here to stay as long as the relationship stays with the Mohegan. I think I, I, I think I wasn't sure myself playing games on a Sunday because that's kind of a sacred day in, in Connecticut, but I think it, with certain things. I, I believe it worked. I think it's easier for travel, mm-hmm. um, and I think obviously you need to have a good game on Sunday to, to kind of get people to go. And obviously they had good games and, and so on and so forth. Um, I think the Central Connecticut, the CCC, was the best conference in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought them and the SEC going into the tournament were the two best, but obviously CCC has two champions and another finalist. I thought they were the best. I thought the FC a lot of people were down on the FCAC to start the year, and maybe rightfully so, but, you know, you had Grant in the semifinals, you had Central as your champion, and, uh, you know, and so th- those would be my impressions. Uh, and, obviously, Central losing one game in, in overtime to West Hill, they proved that they were the best team in the state of Connecticut. And um, as for Fairfield Prep, they had a great season as well. Unfortunately, like I said before, everybody's going to remember what happened in the last half of the last game and it just shows you how difficult it is to not only run the table but win a state championship, and you don't get too many chances. I mean, the certain programs are always going to be there, the Hill Houses, the Centrals, and maybe even the Windsors. It is very difficult to always get there. And they've been there three times now in the last four years, and they haven't won one. And, uh, you know, it's maybe I'm sure they'll get there at some other point, but, again, it's not easy, and... Uh, you know it's something you get you don't want to be remembered for those kind of things, but unfortunately
0: sometimes you are. Yeah, but uh yeah, you're right. I think it, it does show how, how difficult it is with all those factors we mentioned, the pressure and the, the environment of the championship. So we uh we certainly enjoyed it uh from the CIAC's perspective. I hope all the fans did as well. And I know they will enjoy reading uh all of the great coverage uh in the New Haven Register and of course game time C T uh, uh, an excellent comprehensive high school sports website there from the, the folks at the Register. So, Joe Morelli, always a pleasure chatting with you and uh, and getting your input. So thanks to you and uh, for all your work over the weekend. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you for having me. Similarly to Laurie Riley, Joe Morelli has covered a fit large number of boys' basketball championship weekends in his time at the Register and in Connecticut, so certainly enjoy hearing what he had to say about the competition this past weekend. We thank him for being with us. We thank all of our guests for being with us. Lori Riley of The Current, Don Boyle of NFHS Network. And we thank you very much for listening. Once again, I'm Joel Cookson. Be sure to check out the CIAC cast at CIACsports.com. All of the latest news and information you can get there. We're starting to head into that spring season, so keep an eye on those spring sports schedules. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, at CIACsports. A great place to get all of the updated information and news from CIAC.com, as well as you can check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. Lots of ways to keep in touch with what's happening with your favorite high school sports teams. Once again, we thank you for being with us for another edition. We'll be turning 30 in our next edition of the CIAC Cast. It will be episode 30. But for now, I'm Joel Cookson. We thank you very much for being with us, and we will see you next time on the CIAC Cast.